2: Hi and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. I'm Joe Holland. As part of our series focusing on representation in the Labour Party, Henna Shah and I got the chance to speak to Southampton Labour councillor Satvir Kaur and Tanmanji Singh Desi, Labour MP for Slough. We talked about Sikhs for Labour and diaspora campaigning, the Indian farmer protests, the proud ignorance of this Tory government and the Sikh tradition of langar. Thank you to them both for taking the time out to come and speak to us.
3: Hi, everyone. Uh, we're joined today on the Progressive Britain podcast by Tan and Satvir, Lovely to have you here. How are you doing?
1: Very well, thank you. And it's, uh, it's great to join you, Hannah and uh, Superior.
4: Yeah, no, thanks so much for having us. I'm very excited.
1: Yeah, thank you both. Um, just to start off,
2: can you both tell us about a bit about yourselves, how you got into politics, and maybe what you see as the role for seats for Labour in the party?
1: Well, look, um, in terms of uh, me getting into politics, uh, it's one of those, I think, where the path has found me rather than me setting out on a particular path. My aim in life wasn't to become uh, an MP or even a councillor, uh but uh it's it just happened gradually my aim in life was to try to set up my own small family business just as uh my parents had done so i wanted to emulate them and that's exactly what i did after university uh i went off to work in bonnie scotland in the construction business the, that uh, i'd become accustomed to because that's what i'd seen my parents do so we had uh, a small family business run from our garage. Mum used to be doing all the paperwork, all the bookkeeping and uh, time sheets and everything else. And my dad used to go out and about with a drilling rig, with a van, and uh, you know, you go uh, especially in and around London uh, for uh, for work. So I'd been blooded into the construction business, and that's exactly what I did in uh, wonderful Scotland uh, for three years. Um, but I'd been a, a Labour Party member, uh, for, it's been donkey's years now since uh, Union days, I think. Uh, but I, I was just a card-carrying member. I wasn't um, uh, involved in electoral politics in any way because I thought that's somebody else's job. That should be like somebody like uh, sat Bear on the screen. You know, that's that, that's what they do, isn't it? You know, somebody else has got to be doing the councillorship and the MPs and stuff. We just pay our subs because we want to support the Labour movement. We want to support the left. Um, but uh, yeah, I was approached in 2003 to become a councillor. Uh, and at that time, because I was in Scotland, I, I just I had to respectfully decline. But then in two thousand and seven, when they approached me again, uh, then uh, after a lot of consultation with the, the family, my wife, uh, parents, everybody, and they said yes. Look, uh, you know, you uh, you can do your day job, and then in the evenings and uh, on weekends, you can contribute. And it just went from there. It, it, the more and more I got involved uh in council business in voluntary organizations so i've served as a trustee of uh, the alzheimer's and dementia support services the mencap society school governor at a couple of schools and so on it just went there i just got more and more sucked in uh and then i went on to become the chair of the clp then uh, that was because uh, somebody somebody was a lot more experienced than me she was standing there and, she, and a few of them said why don't you become the chair you've done well in the chamber uh, in the council chamber, it'd be great to have somebody younger, somebody with a turban, uh, you know, heading up the, the local party. And so I was unanimously elected uh, as, a, uh, a, a, as as the CLP chair. That's what normally happens. I think uh, Sevilla will tell you is that you, basically you get arm twisted, and uh, uh, you know, uh, if nobody else is volunteering, then you get put forward. So I love doing that. Uh, so I was chair for about four years. Became the local mayor. Uh, and then lo and behold, in 2017, Theresa May decided that she wanted to have an election because she was 24-odd points ahead, uh, and so I'm eternally grateful to her for having taken that decision. Uh, I put in uh, uh, for the vacant seat of Slough, and yeah, from I think about 150-odd, uh, I managed to uh, uh, get the party nomination, and for the last four years, I've been serving as the MP of Slough. What a story. Is that there?
4: Um, so I'm born and bred Southampton, grew up in the inner city on free school meals, come from quite a traditional, I suppose, Punjabi community. My dad was a market trader, if I'm being honest, never in a million years did I ever see myself in politics as a local councillor, representing kind of my community. Um, and it's it's absolutely incredible um so I got involved with the 2010 general election I actually bumped into my local MP at the time John Denham and it was a real marginal and I remember saying to him oh I don't know John I feel really disillusioned I might vote Lib Dem and I remember him gasping and saying how much of a two-horse race it is and I think I said something along the lines of oh I'd chop off my right arm to ensure I don't have a Tory as an MP. And he was like, oh, I could, I could really do with people like you on board my campaign. And I remember helping him out. Um, and he won that seat by 192 votes. And everyone in his campaign felt as though they'd personally got him over the line. And I suppose it's that I realised that as individuals every single conversation you have with someone on the doorstep or kind of phone canvassing and convincing them to vote Labour that can make the difference between Labour winning and not winning and I suppose when I got elected um, I was asked to stand and I actually ran in an unwinnable seat it hadn't seen a Labour councillor for over 10 years and I'm actually on local TV crying. I'm so shocked I won because um, I wasn't meant to. Uh, but it's one of those things that you either really, really love and you found your calling or because it completely takes over your life because politics can be a bit all-consuming. It's just not. And I suppose, fortunately for me, I I feel as though I have found that calling. I really, really love kind of serving my community, listening to local residents, dealing with local issues. I feel as though in local politics you deal with people's everyday life so much more than national politics. So whether that's, I don't know, helping an elderly person get a dropped curve so she doesn't have to carry heavy shopping down the road or helping a mum who's having to decide between feeding her son or heating her home with her housing needs, you know that you've made a difference to that person's life. And for me that's that's truly special. And I know you part of your question was around um Sikhs in Labour and representation in particular. And I think that having more diverse representation isn't just important because we should reflect the communities we want to serve but also I've noticed ever since I got elected so when I got elected I was one of very few women I was definitely the youngest by a long shot and the only one of colour and since then so I would I would have been elected for 10 years this coming May and since then we've tried really hard to diversify our group and I have noticed that we do make better well-rounded decisions as a group because we've got more diverse representation and that is why it's just so important that we continue.
2: Really, really powerful. Thank you. Um, Tan, you've been shadow for railways since April last year. I'm wondering what that's like. How's it been? What have the challenges been? What's What's it
1: been like having that new responsibility? It's an incredible experience, Joseph. I'll tell you what is um, the only problem is I'm I i can not choo choo away on different trains. I can't be standing on platforms. I can't go down to Southampton to uh, catch up with Satow or uh, some of the other people to say look, you know, this is what we should be doing in terms of rail, learning them and trying them to um, formulate and uh, you know streamline our own uh, rail policies. Uh, but that's, that's the one thing that I'm missing. Uh, but there's been a lot of zooming about. So I've been catching up with metro mayors up and down the country, uh, with other MPs, with elected officials, uh, with rail groups. And Yeah, but there was a lot of hard work done by my predecessors. So that was Andy McDonald, Rachel Maskell, uh, and I got a good handover from them. They um, moved on to other roles uh, within the Shadow Cabinet, you know, in terms of the Shadow Ministerial team. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it's been an absolutely wonderful experience. Uh, We formulated some policies, certain things that we've carried on. And so where we uh, have put out the policy platform that we want to take rail back into public ownership. That would be the best way to ensure that uh, we put people before profit. Uh, And also in terms of decarbonizing our economy, tackling the climate crisis, the best way to do that is to make sure that we have a solid focus on transport and in particular uh, public transport, but in particular rail. Uh, because uh, rail is one of uh, those sectors which is a very, very low contributor to our carbon emissions. And if we are to make sure that we green our economy, that we take our country forward into the 21st century, then we need to have a mass transit rail system uh, which is sustainable and which is affordable.
3: Great, thanks Anne. Yeah, and I think it's a quick reflection before we move on to Satviz. It's really interesting hearing your stories and thank you for sharing them in that what that shift is from being a card carrying member to being someone who's sucked in. And I don't know, I think that's an experience that's common to all Labour members, but I remember that I was a car- card carrying member and I'm from Hounslow and Brentford and was a marginal in 2017 and turning up every day to campaign because it was a real marginal, and then meeting some people and then slowly sucking me in and inviting me to various things. And before you know it, you're working in politics and bringing people up and people are standing you for things. And it is a great thing to see. And I think it's a great thing to see people who look like you and who understand you also try and bring you in because I've definitely felt that it wasn't for me necessarily either um so it'd be great to hear from you what it's like to be a councillor and sort of what your role is and a little bit more in Southampton if that's okay
4: yeah of course so um I represent Shirley Ward in Southampton the best ward in the country I would argue um but I'm also cabinet member currently for homes and culture so that's everything housing related and culture related, which is quite broad. Um, at the moment, I suppose my main housing task is um, as part of our COVID recovery as a council, so we're a labour um, we've pledged to build a 1000 council homes by 2025. But we're really keen that that addresses local housing needs. So they'll be 100% affordable, energy efficient. Um, and of quality, I think that um, What the pandemic has really shown, and especially lockdown, is just how important our home is. It's suddenly turned into a place of work, transformed into a classroom where most of our leisure activity is done. And um, I think that people that live in shoe cupboards, essentially, or kind of converted office accommodation or high rise blocks have really suffered as a consequence. So we really want to build kind of the next generation of council housing. But so investing to to kind of build our way out of um, the current recession we're heading in. And I, with a housing hat on, Southampton's actually bidding for UK City of Culture, which is very exciting. Um, So as part of our bid, I suppose, we're trying to put Southampton on the map, get external investment in, showcase everything great that Southampton has to offer, um, which is kind of a really exciting time um, to be in Southampton and be involved in politics. And I suppose, for me, all of us joined the Labour Party because we intrinsically believe in labour values and I feel so privileged that I'm in a position where I can help deliver those labour values and make them a reality for for local communities. Um, as we're talking about representation, I would say that sometimes it is it is harder when You're someone of colour when there aren't people around you. Um, I know you mentioned around seeing people like you, and I think we underestimate the power of role models or seeing people in positions of leadership and authority. Um, I remember when Tan first stood up in the House of Commons, my dad actually had tears in his eyes. It just, seeing someone with a turban on just meant so much for him. And I come from such a traditional family where the... The, I suppose the role of a woman is so different to a man, but seeing someone like Tan and seeing someone like Preet Gill and other Sikhs um, doing what they do best in politics has really given confidence to my family to help me achieve what I want to do in politics too.
3: Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. I guess I'd like to sort of explore that a little bit more. And I think um, a thing that I've certainly heard that people experience from lots of communities as women is a sort of reluctance to platform women or put women forward i do not i know it's a little bit of a sensitive subject but interesting to know whether you've encountered any of that or whether you how you think we should tackle that within within the community more broadly
4: um so i suppose for me um I, I feel like I take so many kind of um, underrepresented groups. So I come from a working class background. I'm a woman. I'm an ethnic minority. <clears throat> I suppose the combination possibly hasn't helped at times. Um, so my traditional background means that all my family or my siblings and my cousins had arranged marriages, for example. Me and my sisters were the first to be allowed, first girls to be allowed in my community to go to university, which was a really big thing. So, um, the plan was as soon as I got graduated, I was meant to marry someone I hadn't met and my sisters dutifully did that, but I was a bit of a black sheep in the family. And, um, I couldn't blame my parents because I think in our community, you associate happiness with marriage. Um, so they just really couldn't understand why I wanted to pursue more, more politics or have more of an independent life than, not get married and have a husband and um I think my dad eventually used to say to people that always used to ask him no 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 she is married she's just married to politics um, and I, I remember my mom constantly worrying she still does and says stuff like you do realize stuff like this just doesn't happen to people like us um, as though I'm living some kind of fantasy dream and that one day I'm gonna I'm gonna wake up and I must admit it does come with its challenges I've been questioned about why someone like me represents Shirley, which is a predominantly white area. I remember once going for um, selections and someone quite high up in the party saying, "Um, you can't stand because people won't be able to pronounce your name. Um, I still get people say people like you. Um, And it's all this kind of subconscious biased or kind of casual racism that I think that we really need to um, draw attention to and draw out of the party at the moment that's not saying that um i feel as though i've kind of progressed despite all of that um rather than because of it but we do have great people within the party and women in particular in the party have been extremely supportive to me as have um sikhs for labor as well
2: it's uh thank you it's so important to hear those truths those realities coming from you um people really need to hear that and understand that can we can we turn to the uh, farmers' protest in India? We've all seen on the news recently. It's been it's been everywhere, and perhaps even more important than the economic rationale behind the protests. In recent days, we've seen the government, the Indian government, is cracking down on some of those leading the protests. Um, I want to ask how the British Sikh community has reacted to the protests and to the Indian government's response and. What we in the labor movement can do to support the farmers' voices being heard, so maybe Tan if we could start with you
1: on that, yeah, thank you, Joseph look, in terms of the farmers' protests within India, those are currently the largest protest on the planet at any given point in time, there are hundreds of thousands of individuals camped in and around Delhi, but also protesting in other parts uh, of India as well, uh, and overall. Uh, given that uh, approximately half of the population it is said more than half in fact are directly or indirectly linked to farming uh, agriculture is a massive industry uh, within india uh, so you can imagine that you have hundreds of millions of people involved within agriculture the likes of me uh, our family heritage is from the rural punjab so before my parents emigrated to uh, Slough, so my uh, my father came there in in, um, in the late seventies. But before did that, doing that, he and my mom's side of family they were farmers. They were out there tilling the land. My grandparents and so on. You know, so there's a there's a strong connection with the land, and that is the same for so many people within the uk so if we just take the sikh community by the way these protests are not just for sikhs they're not you know it is it is a multitude of individuals you've got hindus muslims christians sikh farmers you know people of all faith and none who are involved in agriculture out there so please don't be taken in by any of these um uh misinformation uh edicts that keep coming out from certain sections of the media within india or from certain people in authority that uh All these farmers are somehow either separatists or terrorists, or this is just a Sikh issue. That's a lot of nonsense. Uh, In terms of the Sikh community within the UK, which comprises approximately 1% of the UK population, so there are about half a million Sikhs within the UK, amongst them, more than 100,000 felt strongly enough and were connected up to the internet that they signed an official parliamentary petition on the subject. So, uh, I think the last time I'm looking, it was more than 110,000 plus that signed that petition, uh, which means that there will now be a parliamentary debate. But the likes of myself, when I spoke to friends and family out there in India who were involved, either trade union movement, so all of the farming unions have essentially coalesced around this issue as well, because they are fearful of major corporates moving into worried about the encro- encroaching privatisation. Uh, of agriculture, so that's uh, you know what they are basically fighting for their livelihoods. And many of them, over not just the last few years, but for several decades now, they've seen a drop in their incomes. Uh, the the rate of suicides has increased. The debt laden uh, situation of many farmers it is very very saddening to see. So I go back uh, quite often to India, and uh, whenever I go back, I always go back to our ancestral farm. Uh, to catch up uh, with family and friends and just have that connection. and Even with my children, so I've got two young children, they would go out there, we'd, uh, you know, uh, get them to uh, uh, bathe in, in the water in, in the little pool that there is uh, in the farm, uh, the same pool which takes the water to the various fields. So you cannot imagine that level of connection and how strongly people feel about it. And that is why thousands of individuals in London, in Birmingham, Swansea, and elsewhere, you know, uh, uh, Cardiff, etc. Lots of people have been holding mini protests in their little towns, uh, as well as the larger ones uh, in and around London and uh, in parts of Glasgow. But uh, I tell you what: when we had a meeting about this, we had a cross-party meeting. We put out a letter; thirty-six MPs signed it. It went out to Dominic Raab, and thankfully, he raised it with the Indian Foreign Minister, uh, and then. I thankfully, finally, i got to ask a question in PMQs, because one of the most frustrating things is, uh, which I found, that when I served uh, for about a decade as a councillor, I could basically put up my hand almost at will, as long as I got the mayor to look in my direction, I could speak in that debate. But one of the most frustrating things is, for PMQs, for example, you have to put in to speak. And then about 20 odd individuals' names are chosen and only they can ask the question. So I hadn't been able to ask a question to Boris Johnson in PNU since September 2019. That's the only one that I've managed to ask. But in December of last year, I stood up to ask a question about the farmers' protest. I said, will the Prime Minister convey to the Indian Prime Minister our heartfelt anxieties and those of our constituents? Uh, and do you, does the Prime Minister agree that everybody has a fundamental right to engage in peaceful protest. Mm. Uh, Joseph, what uh, um, my previous PMQ was quite biting. It was about Islamophobia. But this one was very, very, very soft. I thought I've given him an in. All he's going to say is, of course, I agree with the honourable member. And then I can duly sit down. So I've raised the issue. He started talking about Pakistan. I just thought, are you having a laugh? Just how clueless can somebody be when thousands of individuals have been protesting in the UK and you start talking about India, Pakistan? So it was extremely uh, annoying. Therefore, uh, we then wrote, uh, I organised a letter and more than 100 MPs signed a letter to the prime minister. Uh, and you know to say, look, you know, we're very, very worried, as you, as you rightly said, Joseph. But we've seen the footage of water cannon, tear gas, and brute force being used against farmers on their way to Delhi and thereafter. So the vast bulk of those farmers are peacefully protesting. You've got uh, elderly individuals, people who would fought for India, uh, you know, in the army. Their children are currently uh, uh, out there. Some of them have been beaten up in custody. That's what they've alleged. Trade unionists like Nadeep Kaur, uh, journalists, uh, they've been arrested. Uh, Nadeep Kaur, it is alleged, has uh, has suffered uh, sexual assault and torture while in uh, police custody. So all of those allegations have been coming. and we, you know, So the likes of us have been saying that, look, there needs to be a debate. And when I asked the leader of the House uh, earlier this month about it, he turned around and uh, he didn't even answer the question. He started going off on some other tangent, uh, came up with lots of words, but didn't answer the question. But the best way that people can support this movement uh, is what the unions have done. I'll tell you what I'm so, so proud of our unions. War on Want organized the letter, uh, which had the support of the Trades Union Congress, it had all the major trade unions. Uh, you know the likes of Unite, Unison, GMB, the rail unions RMT, Aslef, TSSA, and others. Loads of others signed that letter to show solidarity with the trade unionists out there in India. Uh, so uh, you know, I know a lot of uh, members are organising motions within their CLPs. That's a great way. They're uh, organising motions within their council chambers as well. To, to write to the prime minister to say look you know uh, that there needs to be uh, some sort of intervention and we need to make sure that those peaceful protesters are saved from any excesses of anybody in authority uh, so uh, yeah I, you know it's, it's been great to see that solidarity but I hope that's given some sort of background uh, to, to the issue and also I'll tell you what the farmers have been very very grateful Uh, to the influencers out there, celebrities, uh, to climate change activists, to human rights activists, when they have written in uh, and they've tweeted about it, there have been times when the farmers' protest has been the number one uh, trending issue, not just in India, not just in the UK, but across the globe. Uh, So it just shows you uh, the power of people from different backgrounds and perspectives coming together uh, to show solidarity when somebody's fighting for justice, Southvid, do you share that frustration that Tan speaks about
2: and, and do you see um do you see a manifestation of that growing um attention to this issue on the- in Southampton?
4: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's one of those, and Tan's already covered all of it where um there's such a huge diaspora um, in the u k from the Punjab. Um, so everyone will be somehow linked or related to farmers in the Punjab. So this idea that I think um, labor values intrinsically are linked to fighting injustice anywhere, um, uh, wherever it is. Um, but because there's such an emotional, personal connection, it's just really amplified that within um, within families, within communities, within cities, which is probably why you've, you've seen this reaction. And I think that, what tipped it over the edge was the Prime Minister's reaction to Tan's question. I remember watching it in absolute horror, Um, especially because, I mean, Southampton is the, the most diverse city on the South Coast. Um, And, you know, we pride ourselves on our community cohesion. So there's Muslims with Sikhs and Hindus and Jews, and we all kind of get along really, really well. The last thing we want is... Um, a collective farmers' protest that is bringing people together in India, only for our Prime Minister to use it as, like, probably naively, um, as a way of division between local communities. And kind of, it was just that naivety and ignorance. And I just think in his position, he can't really afford to make those mistakes. It's, quite frankly, it's insulting. Like, just don't do it. You can't get away with being stupid as Prime Minister, in my opinion. Um, especially with something so sensitive, so yes, I do share tad's frustration <laughs> um to put it bluntly, but um, thank you, Tan, for everything you're doing, and everyone else um w- with what they're doing to raise awareness on this important issue.
2: How do you think um that's within the wider question of the challenges related to campaigning as part of a diaspora what what's that like and and is it frustrating at times to see? To see some of the issues that are important not really understood by by the British government for example
4: and um, so I have found like especially in Southampton a lot of our kind of diverse communities are also in our most deprived community so a lot of the issues they will raise will all will, all, will automatically be linked to kind of issues you'd get from any working class community anyway I just think that it's exacerbated um, because of their ethnicity um, there are issues sometimes where are, are, um, are predominantly focused with ethnic minorities, where sometimes it can get frustrating that others don't understand. So a personal one that I helped deal with, which was a few years ago um, in a local secondary school to Sikh girls <clears throat> on their first day of school in year seven. So it was their new school as well, were sent home because they were wearing turbans um to which there was absolute uproar within the local community so they contacted me even though technically I mean it wasn't my patch it wasn't my area of responsibility but because I was a Sikh because they were saying no one else will understand what is what this means to us um so I actually had to contact the school and they genuinely didn't know what they'd done wrong and they were even a a religious school so they were a Roman Catholic school um, and they were like, oh, but it's, it's non-school uniform. <laughs> um, to which I had to be like, but it's religious. All they had to do was Google whether girls can wear turbans. I mean, it wasn't rocket science. Um, I even had to ask them to show me where in their guidance on uniform, I'd said, can you turn to the section that covers turbans? And can you say explicitly where it says you can't wear a turban to school? And then, all the family got was an apology and they were let back in but that damage with the Sikh community um and with other faiths as well i mean it you know it's the same with muslim girls and hijabs you know that damage with that community was already done and i think that um there's absolutely a frustration with this lack of understanding but whether you understand something or not i think that it's indicative of all of us and all institutions to be a bit more open minded
2: and tan do you agree and also is there anything that you feel is rewarding in in being the central campaigner for our diaspora.
1: Yeah, um, I fully agree with uh, Satbir. I think um, the issues are enriched. Our democracy is enriched when we have people from different perspectives with different priorities coming together uh, because the decisions are ultimately more refined. They've taken into cognizance various aspects of our diverse communities. Now, having more women in Parliament, having more women in the council chambers has made sure that we're discussing those issues, that we have individuals uh, who have those issues in their day to day lives, having people from black, Asian and minority ethnic communities or people with disabilities or people uh, from the LGBT plus community, when they're involved, they help to enrich things. You know, We make much better decisions. Uh, and look, sometimes look, we'll all make mistakes there are times when even being a Sikh I'm, you know I'm, I'm not the font of all knowledge and uh, you know me and we can't uh, uh, proclaim to have some sort of monopoly on all of the issues other people can be taking up issues there have been uh, uh, times when that's happened so way before the likes of myself rocked up in parliament you know there were others who were doing a very very good job in taking forward issues with regards to the Sikh community or with regards to other uh, diaspora issues. But I'd like to think that, uh, you know, whether it's the likes of myself or, or Preet, who's, who was elected in 2017 as well, or Nina Gill, who served previously as the only Sikh member of European Parliament, uh, or you've got Dr. Ankar Sohota, who is the only member of the Greater London Assembly. Uh, you know, councillors like... So those individuals, when they're involved... Uh, you'd like to think that they are making positive contributions. Uh, But in terms of those diaspora issues, they do need to be discussed. And I'll tell you what, I am so, so proud to be a member of the British Parliament because we not only discuss about issues to do with our local communities, so whether it's in Slough or whether it's to do with the UK. While the bulk of the time it is about UK-related issues, but we discuss global issues. If, if you know, we keep hearing this soundbite about, sound, sound about global Britain, well, the sound, it can't just be a mere soundbite because we do practice what we preach. You know, we discuss about human rights across the globe. So if, by the way, anybody ever tries to uh, shut up uh, somebody by saying, well, look, this just relates to our particular country. How dare somebody else speak about it? It's like, no. Human rights are universal. That's the answer to that little question. Uh, because I've often seen when I've been trolled on social media, and uh, while we've got lots of, uh, uh, of supporters uh, on social media, especially within the labor movement, you know, people showing solidarity across the globe, uh, but uh, I've got a fair bit of uh, trolls and uh, a lot of people coming up with, poke your nose out, don't get involved in this. Why are you talking about Myanmar? Why are you talking about Hong Kong and uh, the atrocities against the Uyghurs or the Buddhists uh, or the Christian minorities in China? Why are you talking about Palestine? Or I said, that's our role, mate. I, you know, we're in Britain and uh, we're proud to be speaking up about those issues. If something is happening, it doesn't matter whether it's happening in India and Pakistan, that's not just your little domain. If he, there is a crackdown, then we will be speaking up about that. Um, And those issues do need to be discussed. And I think that can be seen just uh, by the level of engagement on social media and discussions, uh, because it's become a platform whereby we can see what is happening within various communities. Uh, But uh, yeah, overall, uh, I do hope that those issues will continue to be discussed.
0: Planning for your next trip?
3: Great, yeah, and I completely agree about the amount of attention that the Farmers has brought. I think I remember seeing, was it Rihanna tweet and say, why aren't we talking about this? Um, which is incredible, I think, testament to the fact that people really care and it's an issue that's really brought people together as a global community to say, look at all these people, why are they protesting, what are they up against? Um, and I think a little bit of what you touched on sort of feeds into what I want to ask about now, which is thinking a little bit about racism within the Labour Party. Obviously, it's been a significant issue at the moment and is something that exactly sort of, as you kind of alluded to, Tan, a thing that people of colour and um, people from ethnic minorities have been working on a long time. But it'd be great to hear Uh, a little bit about perhaps your personal experiences, if you're happy to share them, whether you've encountered it or how it's perhaps affected your journey within the Labour Party?
1: Yeah, well, Labour Party, we know, was founded on the principles of equality, of social justice. One of the reasons why the likes of me are in the Labour Party is because whether it was my grandparents, my parents, my grandfather, who was a teacher and a committed socialist, He was constantly telling me stories about what happened during the 60s. My parents were telling me about what happened in the 70s and 80s and how, when they needed solidarity, it was the Labour Party that was treating them as equal citizens, that was standing up for their rights, while the Tories were too busy uh, engaging in culture wars and trying to uh, talk about some sort of invasion of the rivers of blood or talking about Nelson Mandela as, you know, they're all terrorists and some young Tories and others uh, having T-shirts emblazoned with let's hang Nelson Mandela when Labour was the one that was talking about anti-apartheid uh, and courting arrest. Th- those stories have you know, had a very, very special place in my heart and that's why I- I'm subscribed to those socialist values, those values of solidarity which is so emblematic of our trade union movement as well. Um, but unfortunately, uh, as with other organisations, uh, because we are, you know, literally it's a subscription uh, where some anybody can off the street can go on to join and become a member of the Labour Party. We've got more than a half a million members uh, with the largest political party in Western Europe. So with that, with that level of membership, unfortunately, we may have certain elements um, within us who are either racist or sexist, or homophobic, we, there is no place for those people. So we need to weed out those individuals, uh, people who are not aligned to our values. Um, so we have to face up to those demons. And when, I know that when we had issues with regards to anti-Semitism, we've got other issues, whether it's with regards to Islamophobic comments or anti-seek comments, those individuals, they need to be dealt with. Um, and so I'm proud that we took That bull by the horns that we had uh, the independent inquiry into anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. And a lot of work is being done by the Labour Party nationally, uh, as well as locally, to uh, hold those people to account and uh, have those investigations. Uh, But we need to be progressing faster because, especially if anybody is an elected representative, a councillor or an MP or uh, a member of uh, one of the devolved authorities, Uh, the parliaments if any of them are displaying any such features then uh, they should have no place within our party so that's what we need to uh, we know what we need to deal with Uh, and just but by the way that doesn't stop us from holding other political parties to account so in particular the conservative party you know just because we've got certain unscrupulous elements that we're dealing with at the same time we need to call out others uh, and whether that includes Boris Johnson with his litany of sexist and racist remarks, he needs to be held to account because, uh, just as you know, the and myself have pointed out in the chamber, they uh, within the Conservative Party promised that there would be an independent inquiry into Islamophobia within the Conservative Party, and there have been so many instances uh, of such uh, uh, you know the things occurring. And yet, to this day, they have not ordered an independent inquiry into Islamophobia. But while we're doing that, let's sort our own house uh, out as well. And I I think we are well on the way uh, to dealing with those issues.
3: Great. Satvi, do you have any reflections on that? Is there anything from your experience you'd like to share?
4: Um, so, I mean, uh, Tan's absolutely right in reflecting kind of the history of the Labour Party, our values intrinsically linked to being anti-racist. Um, I'm really uh, proud and happy that we're, we're getting so strong on on this and trying to fight it out of our party. Um, I think it was Keir that said, um, you know, one racist is too many in the party and kind of just really rooting out that casual racism as well, because I think that wants you 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 allow people to get away with that, um, it can escalate. So I'm, I'm really happy that, I mean, I know some will argue that we're coming down too hard, but I'm quite happy that we are trying to make a marker to show people that we're taking this seriously. I do also agree, and Tan's kind of a, a great representation of this, that um, we all have a collective fight here. This isn't about um, Sikhs versus Muslims versus kind of the LGBTQ plus community you know, all of our, all of the kind of prejudices and discrimination that each of us fail should be for um, and championed by all of us. You know, we've all got a role to play to support each other. Um, And I think that, you know, Tan, you've mentioned, I think um, your first question was around um, women with hijabs and letterboxes. And to this day, our Prime Minister still hasn't apologised for that comment, for that comment. And I, I feel as though people in positions of responsibility um, do have a responsibility to watch what they say and how they say stuff. I don't think they've got the the privilege to get away with it. You know, they've put themselves in that position for a reason, and um, so you know, we are in a in a collective fight. The only other thing I wanted to mention was this whole tokenism versus representation. Um, you know a lot of people that are of colour or from underrepresented groups often get attacked I know I do Tan I'm sure you do with this idea that you're only there because you have a different colour skin or you're only there because you're gay or you're a lesbian or you're disabled and and actually you can be there because you're just bloody good at what you do and I think we just need to get over this and I don't think it's just a Labour Party problem I do think it's a societal problem um I still get um I still will walk into the cabinet room after having done I don't know politics out or you know an interview on the tv and my colleagues will turn around and say oh did they need another brown person on the tv is that why you were chosen and um well they kind of a jokey jesty way you know, it's, it's, it's stopped becoming funny. Um, And I just think we need to, especially within the Labour Party, just deal with stuff like that head on that, you know, true representation isn't tokenism. And the more we can get people from different backgrounds in positions of responsibility, I think that that will become less.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting reflection. And just to explore that a little bit more, I think we've seen I mean, over the past however many years, sort of inquiry after inquiry and thinking of Macpherson and, and others into the nature of racism within the UK. And obviously around COVID, we have seen the disproportionate impact on both COVID as an illness, but also on the sort of social aspects of it, whether it's around the economy or housing or other things like that and how it has impacted marginalized groups more than others. Um I wonder if you have any reflections on what that's meant for the people you serve and how they've got through the present time. Maybe Tan, do you want to first?
1: Yeah, Hena, in terms of people within South particularly hard hit as a community, if we talk about black Asian minority ethnic communities disproportionately impacted by coronavirus in terms of the number of deaths, the number of cases. I think that's also got to do with a whole uh, plethora of issues with regards to socioeconomic factors, where those communities are living, often in urban areas where it's uh, you know there's a lack of space that are living in either congested or uh, unsuitable housing as as is the case in, in many cities. Uh, so where the transmission of the virus uh, is, uh, is a lot more rampant. There are also issues uh, with regards to uh, the the communities where they are used to living in uh, in extended families. So that has also uh, had uh, an impact whereby uh, even if somebody of a working age is going out to work, they are coming back. And so often they're not just living with their children, but also their parents and sometimes grandparents so there's three or four generations within one household uh, so that's had an impact and also uh, people from uh, the black Asian minority ethnic communities they're often uh, in jobs uh, as key workers so front-facing roles so whether it's in terms of bus drivers taxi drivers doctors nurses uh, those sort of professions have meant that we have been disproportionately impacted there's no two ways about that and I think the statistics bear that out as well um, I personally, you know, I've been severely impacted in the sense that we've lost close family members. So my grandmother contracted COVID and sadly passed away. My uncle, who was a taxi driver in Slough, he, you know, 60 odd, and in the next minute we knew he was on a ventilator uh, and gasping for his final breath and he passed away. Uh, my brother-in-law's father, who had somehow contracted COVID in a Slough care home, you know, that there are so many stories in households across the country, uh, especially within BAME communities, and I think that is very, very saddening. Um, but uh, you know, we just need to make sure that government and people in local authorities, as well, that they are aware of these issues, so that we help those communities to come out. Uh, uh, Of uh, this pandemic, uh, because many of them will also have lost their jobs because it's an economic impact as well. So, for example, in Slough, it's a very diverse community, literally the world in microcosm, uh, where we've got uh, large populations of Scottish, Irish, Welsh, Polish, Indian, Pakistani, Afro Caribbean communities all milling around. But many of them are actually working in and around Heathrow, for example. Uh, the aviation sector, because it's had s- such uh, a devastating impact this pandemic has had on that particular sector, that means that many of those people who were who had that dignity of going and working hard for their living, they no longer have a job, you know, and they are scratching around thinking what's going on, and now they have to rely on the welfare state, and that's another one of the reasons why you know I'm proud that Labour we constantly stand to make sure that we strengthen our welfare state because you never know when you might need that welfare state uh, the, you know the journey from uh, being uh, as uh, uh, it's uh, written within the sacred uh, Sikh scriptures the Guru Granth the journey from uh, a uh, king to a pauper is what you might uh, 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 seem to believe so you know that it's those reasons um that I think going forward as well that we now need to look at the mental health impact on uh, those that have lost their jobs, that those that aren't able to provide for their families, and the mental health impact on young people as well, because the closure of schools and the inability of people to go and get an education, unfortunately, there's been a disproportionate negative impact on uh, the more disadvantaged sections of our community, and that, those inevitably, unfortunately, end up being communities that we represent as Labour MPs, as Labour councillors. So there's a great deal of work to be done going forward. But uh, I think working together, hopefully, uh, with uh, wonderful people in the voluntary sector as well, who have been doing an amazing job, and people in faith groups, that we can overcome this adversity.
3: Great, thanks, and um, um, Satya, do you have anything to add on that?
4: Um, I think... Um, Tan covered it really well. The only, um, I'm really pleased he mentioned mental health only because um, fortunately, I haven't lost anyone to COVID. But unfortunately, um, I recently lost a friend to mental health, you know, he sadly took his own life. And so I do think mental health among young people is kind of is really serious at the moment. And as a country and locally, we need to do more on that. Um, also, I think the coronavirus has impacted women so much more than men. Um, you know, all the statistics show at the moment how they have been disproportionately affected and actually coming out will be socially and economically far worse off. So what can we put in place now to try and try and mitigate that? Um, as a local authority, we desperately really struggle. So our pressure in the air is in excess of 20 million Um, which we had to find um, at the beginning. We were told, do whatever it takes, we'll be there for you. And um, we did whatever it took um, and the government aren't there for us. Um, So that's having um, a huge impact on our budget. So we've got a budget meeting coming up next week. And um, you just, at moments like this, you feel as though you didn't join politics to make these kind of decisions, but you feel forced to because we've got um, a Tory government that quite frankly doesn't care about, local local communities um which is which is really tough um what i do think and i suppose in a positive way i'm really pleased that um kia mentioned this whole um 1945 moment and how as a country this is our opportunity to stop and restart and this is about i mean in post-war it was a labor party that created and built the nhs started a huge council home building program you know they Reinvented the UK and our country as it is today, and it's it's our opportunity to to try and do that again, so we can stop and and restart and actually say goodbye to austerity. Because the reason why this country in particular has had it so badly is because it came after a decade worth of austerity measures, and that's why they, I think it just uncovered all the inequality that was already there within our communities.
2: Yeah, that is such a such a crucial point um to almost end on uh we're really grateful for, for both of you for coming on and providing your insight but i want to ask maybe a bit of a lighter question to finish um if you could both tell us one thing that people like Kenner and i in the labor party non-seeks in the labor party should know about seeks for labor one thing you want the party in general to know about seeks for labor what you're doing what you stand for either of you can go first
4: I'm sorry,
1: Tad. I was going to let you go first. Oh, brilliant. I was just about to say ladies first, but look, always happy. Look, Sikhs for Labour, one of the best things uh, about the Sikh community that everybody should be aware of is this institution called Langar, which is free food, free community kitchen food that has been in existence for centuries. Indeed, it was such a preeminent feature of the Sikh faith that the Sikh guru uh, said that anybody who's coming to meet me, if they do not eat in the community kitchen, if they do not eat in the langar, then uh, they don't need to come and see me. That, that, that's how much of an institution. And the, and the reason for it, by the way, is not about food. Uh, if somebody thinks uh, so, you, whenever you see at a Labour Party conference, you'll see a whole bunch of Sikhs like Sapir and me standing around, and you know we're handing out apples or uh, or other uh, fruit uh, because uh, unfortunately you know we can't have the the, the curry and the rice and the chapatis and whatever. Uh, but um, so, it's your five a day, uh, Joseph. Yeah, and I, just make sure. Uh, but no, seriously, in terms of uh, why uh, we would all be doing that at virtually every single Labour Party conference is that we align our Sikh values with our socialist values. It's about sharing with others, and it's about that institution of langar. Uh, but the reason why we have that institution is uh, centuries ago, so 500 odd years ago, uh, there, in certain parts of the Indian subcontinent where people wouldn't even sit down with each other, they wouldn't prepare food together, uh, there was a thing called the caste system. So certain people uh, wouldn't uh, interact. They they felt that certain people were inferior uh, to them and so on. Uh, uh, and so what the Guru said is that like everybody is equal, whether it's male, female, whether it's people black, white, brown, whatever it is, people prepare this food together. The The food will be through donations from Sikhs, from the community. Having prepared the food, we will then together serve it and eat it. So it was a leveller. And everybody had to sit on one level as well, because before certain people would be sitting higher, others lower and so on. So it was the levelling up uh, aspect. Oh, my God, we're getting into like this a Tory territory of levelling up agenda. No, it's about levelling everybody up or levelling everybody down, you know, just to make sure that everybody keeps their feet on the ground and that we practice what we preach so that we have that equality. So that's the one thing that I'll say in terms of Sikh community. You'll see, uh, wherever the Sikhs, they will be making sure that they feed everybody. And by the way, that, that langar is not just for the Sikh community. It is for everybody. Uh, and it's always like vegetarian food uh, and uh, because it's a large proportion of the Sikhs, by the way, who are vegetarian, the likes of myself. Uh, but we, you, you, it, I think food is one of those beautiful thing, things which bring people together uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it and
2: uh, yeah, so watch out for that. Beautiful story as, as a vegan. I uh, I, I fully, can All right. that. Good.
4: um, yes, lungard, one of my favorite things. I do really miss lungard at the moment. It's heartbreaking not being able to um, come with everybody and eat it. Um, one thing that people should know about the Sikh community, um, this is really basic, um, but and hopefully, most people know. But every Sikh female will have the middle name Kaur and every Sikh male will have the middle name Singh. And it's um, to draw on that um, that symbolism Sikh Sikhs have around equality. So the idea was because we originated from Hindus and Muslims um, and Hindus in particular had this huge caste system to get rid of that caste system. Everyone's surname was taken away and they all had the same name. So while technically I do have a surname, I never use it. I always use my middle name, Core, um, because I think it's just so special and powerful that my name kind of literally represents equality, which is um, really special for me. Um, And I just want other Sikhs to be able to relate to it. So I'm a very proud Core, as I'm sure Tan is a very proud Singh.
2: Well, that's, that's fascinating. Thank you both. Great, yeah. For those answers, thank you for coming on. It's been really, really interesting, and I'm sure our, our listeners are going to really enjoy listening to the episode. Thank you very so much. Pleasure.
3: Thank you Thanks so for much for doing
1: us. this, by the yeah. way. I've really, really enjoyed it.